0: Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: We are on episode 56, and we are so glad you're listening today. So we have finished the story of Jacob. Yep. And I hope you uh, listened to last week's episode because we had our first guest, Yeah. JT, and had a great conversation. It was really good. Yeah. Great conversation. Just about authentic relationship with God. But now we're moving on to moving on. a new character.
1: Yes, we are transitioning over to Joseph, and it's actually a major transition in the book of Genesis. It's going to occupy pretty much the rest of the book of Joseph, so... The the book of Joseph. Sorry, the book of Genesis. (laughs) (laughs) It's so all-consuming, you don't even remember the book name. It's the book of Joseph.
0: Well, I think a lot has happened already, so...
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, one cool thing about the book of Genesis is especially in relation to uh, Genesis 12 through 50, is that pretty much Genesis 12 through 36, you're looking at the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the primary emphasis in that section is primarily on God's covenant that he makes with that family. But then once we start getting into the story of Joseph, it actually transitions into a different major theme In the book of Genesis and it primarily has to do with the kingdom of God and so it's a very interesting story to interpret through the lens of how does God express his kingdom in a fallen world
0: but it's still the same family
1: that's right the same family just kind of like a different theme in the story is starting to come to the surface
0: I see Mm -hmm. okay where, where are we going?
1: So we, in, in order to understand this first story about Joseph, we do have to take a little pit stop on Jacob's kids. So we're going to read real quick uh, Genesis 35, verses 22 through 26, and I'll make a few comments here about where these kids come from. So verse 22 says, now the sons of Jacob were 12, so that, that's where we get the whole 12 tribes of Israel. The sons of Leah, which was the first wife that was given to Jacob, were Reuben, which is Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. So that, that's a total of six kids from one woman coming to Jacob through Leah. The sons of Rachel, which was his second wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. So you get two sons from Rachel. Now what's interesting here is that we're about to transition into what they call, uh, they actually call them Jacob's maidservants and it says the sons of Bilhah Rachel's maidservant were Dan and Naphtali and the sons of Zilpah which was Leah's maidservant were Gad and Asher these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. so this is going to come up here in the story of Joseph we're about to read and it's kind of important to know who who's your mama whose mama is whose mama and whose son is whose son and that kind of adds and enriches our understanding of the conflict that's going on here because because pr- basically if, if you're a son of rachel or leah you're kind of like jacob's first pick in other words he favored rachel over leah but he would still favor favor rachel and leah over rachel and leah's maidservants so if if you're a son of a maidservant, you're kind of second tier in the family, because you're not actually a part of, you're not coming from the women that he labored, fourteen years, to marry. You're kind of quote unquote second class in the family.
0: Sounds like a uh, confusing <laughs> and
1: <laughs> I mean talk about complicated
0: some, family situation. It's, it's a
1: major recipe for dysfunctional family dynamics right. and those. Dynamics do get played out in the family. Yeah. So, all right. So we're going to jump into Genesis 37. This is the first time Joseph shows up as a story.
0: Okay. Genesis 37, starting in verse one. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, And the sons of Zilpah.
1: Okay, so this is where this comes into play. Remember, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah are the maidservants. And here's Joseph, who is actually a son of, he is a son of Rachel, the preferred wife of Jacob. We're talking about the youngest son, who is also, I'm sorry, he's the second to youngest son, who's also the son of the most preferred wife in the family, hanging out with the the kids of the maidservants. Okay, so you got top tier and bottom tier hanging out together.
0: They are hanging out, and he brought their father a bad report about them. That's
1: right. He's he's being a tattletale. <laughs> okay, they're they're probably already insecure about how Jacob sees them, and then Joseph is bringing a bad report about these brothers from the bottom tier of the family to the patriarch. The head of the family, and so it's it's not a good situation, and Joseph is probably just being uh, very naive, and he could even be you know be uh, kind of pandering to his dad uh, uh, to be a favorite son. So,
0: okay, verse three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he had made an ornate robe for him.
1: Okay, so not only do we got these dysfunctional family dynamics, Jacob is actually reinforcing these dynamics by loving Joseph more than all his brothers, even more than his youngest, which is which is uh, Benjamin. And then he also makes him a visible garment to set him apart visually from his brothers. Pum pum pum. Yeah,
0: not a good recipe. <laughs> the
1: plot thickens.
0: When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more.
1: Let me just pause right here to say this is an important transition that we're having here, especially in the story of Joseph, because all throughout the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you have God appearing in very dramatic ways to both Abraham and Jacob. But God does not have those kinds of dramatic appearances with Joseph. Instead, it's almost like they're indirect. Uh, He has a dream, and it's not about God. It's actually about himself. And so there is communication. There is revelation that's coming to Joseph, but it's not the kind of revelation and appearances. God is not meeting with Joseph in the same way that he was meeting with Jacob and Abraham. So I just kind of want to point that out because it's a a big theme in the Bible is God wanting to meet with us. And here we have an example of God meeting with someone, but it's, it's sort of in a clandestine kind of way. It's kind of in a, in an indirect way.
0: Okay. So he told them the dream and they hated him even more. And verse six, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said.
1: There, you know, some people kind of approach this as. Joseph being 17 years old and they kind of say, Hey, he's like all teenagers. He's envisioning himself as being the center of the universe. And that this is some kind of like psychological projection, you know, that a a self-centered teenager just naturally sees all of his brothers being centered around him because he's, he's immature. But I do think there is, it doesn't say that God gave him the dream, but the implication is that God did give him the dream. And, the question that they ask him is sort of like suggestive about what the rest of the story is going to be about. It's about how God is going to reign and have dominion through an individual to carry out his plans and purposes. And his brothers are picking up on this. They say, will you indeed reign over us? Will you indeed have dominion over us? And so this is what some scholars would say is the hermeneutical key or the interpretive key to unlock the story of Joseph. As we look through the story of Joseph, we're going to see that God uses Joseph not only to reign and rule over his brothers, but to exercise reign and rule over an entire region of the world. Essentially, God's promise to Abraham is going to be fulfilled in part through Joseph to be a blessing to the nations. The story of Joseph is working out this promise that God made to Abraham to bless the nations through his seed. And Joseph is going to be a primary actor in fulfilling that promise. But it's also going to be in tandem with God exercising rule and dominion in a very unconventional way. It's going to be through suffering. It's going to be through difficulty. It's going to be through isolation. And yet this is how God prepares Joseph to rule over the nations. So there's a lot more going on in the story of Joseph than we typically recognize. And I, I just kind of want to put that, that out there as sort of like a, an advertisement, <laughs> a, a teaser, if you will.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so let's continue in verse nine. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream And this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind.
1: Just as a little side note, isn't it interesting that the twelve sons of Israel are depicted as stars, which are shining objects in the sky, and then you have Mom and dad are depicted supposedly just two parents, but really there's more than Jacob had several wives, so you know maybe there should be like Sun, Moon, and Mars and <laughs> a couple of other planets,
0: and I'm sure the family's a lot bigger yeah. <laughs>
1: But uh, it's essentially this idea that they're they're depicted as shining objects in the sky. And, you know, some people will say this is sort of a a hint at the way that God sees the destiny, not only of Israel, but all those who participate in God, is that we have this shining, luminous destiny of participating in the divine nature. This kind of comes up later in the New Testament when we're called holy ones and we are sort of depicted as joining the divine council with God's divine beings. There's some symbolism here going on with the destiny of human beings that participate in the divine nature with God. And, and we are destined to rule just as the stars and the sun are said to rule the night, and the sun rules the day in the creation account of Genesis 1. So there's, there's some symbolism going on here with ruling the language i wanted to kind of pick up on here is this last verse where it says and his brothers envied him i used to wonder what is the difference between envy and jealousy mm-hmm. and i you know it's it, it's one of those questions that you have to get google to answer and so i googled it and the difference between envy and jealousy is that with envy You actually see something in someone else, like a character trait or an attribute, or maybe they even possess something that you don't have, but you are angry and it bothers you that they have it and that you don't. In this story, it of course would be Joseph is the object of Jacob's affections. He's got the coat of many colors, he's the favorite, he has the father's favor but they don't, and so they're envious of, of them. The, what jealousy is is that jealousy implies that you actually own something, you actually possess it, but then it requires a third party. It requires another person either interacting with that thing, taking possession of it, participating in it, and you do not want them to actually benefit from the thing that you own and you're jealous that they are somehow interacting with or benefiting from something that you actually possess. So the classic example of this is if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and then some other person comes, you know, like let's say you're at a party and then they dance with your girlfriend. Okay, Uh oh. ding, 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 that's jealousy starts to surface. Okay, because that person is enjoying something that you consider yourself to quote unquote possess, And that person is enjoying it and you get angry about them enjoying and having access to something that you consider to be something that you own. Uh, Now envy can come in there. If the person that she's dancing with has a character trait that you don't have. And you're thinking that your girlfriend is, is attracted to this other guy because of that feature. And that's when jealousy and envy can get intertwined and becomes really powerful because then you start not only feeling insecure you're also feeling like they should not be interacting with them. The reason why all this is important is because the story of Joseph and his brothers kind of typifies or prefigures the story of Jesus being betrayed by his brethren. And there's some very specific language in the Gospels that talks about why Jesus got betrayed and why Jesus ends up getting killed and forsaken and accused by his brothers, in other words, Israel, his own, his own nation. The scriptures are very specific with the language they use, and it's the same kind of language that is being used here to talk about how Joseph's brothers see him. And so a lot of people have kind of drawn some parallels between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus, especially as it relates to being betrayed by the people who should actually be watching your back and should be on your side. Mm. So
0: are we going to look in the gospels for that or
1: Yeah, yeah, let's let, let's go ahead and, and go up to Matthew. I believe it's Matthew 27 verses 15 through 18. Okay. And that verse starts out by saying, "Now at the feast, that is the the Passover feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished." And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, which ironically means son of the father. Ah, let's see. Here's another parallel with the story of Joseph. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who was called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Dun, dun, dun.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, what's interesting is that if you kind of ask yourself the question, well, if envy is seeing something in someone else that you think that you do not have, and then it makes you angry that they have that, and essentially it makes you want them to not have it, and you may actually take action to take it away from them, what is it that they saw in Jesus that they thought that they did not have And they did not want him to have it. It's it's a really good question to ask because if envy is a primary motivator of them handing Jesus over, and of then, you know, subsequently saying, "Yeah, we don't want this guy, Barabbas. We want Jesus. We want him to be crucified. We want him to be the one who, you know, dies during the Passover." Then what is it that they saw in Jesus? What is it that made them so angry? and so envious that they wanted to arrange a situation where he could no longer have that thing. There's different theories about that. There's different, you know, perspectives about, well, how do we identify the object of envy in Jesus? And the most common denominator that most people opt for is basically influence is that Jesus was massively influential and the people in power really covet being influential, and when they saw the crowds were going after him, and that the crowds were giving more attention to him, were listening to his voice instead of their voice, that there was a slow-building envy that started even way back in the beginning of his ministry, and that kind of culminates and kind of blossoms in the religious leaders' that motivate them to hand Jesus over. And so it's, it, th- this thing of envy is, is definitely one of those things that it's, it's one of those points of contact between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. And in some ways you can kind of chart the story of Joseph, you know, like a plot in the same way that you can plot the story of Jesus with his crucifixion. And we'll, we'll kind of get into some of that in future episodes. But I think just to wrap this up here, I kind of want to leave this concept of envy kind of floating out there as kind of a bridge into our next episode is that envy can motivate you to do some pretty crazy things. And one of the things about envy is that it requires you to look at yourself and see something is missing. And you mistakenly think that that thing is actually located in someone else. And really at the core of envy is a denial. It's a refusal to see and own something in yourself that's actually there. But you project that onto someone else and you think you don't have any of that in yourself. One of the solutions to envy is to actually do a more thorough inventory. And to not fall for the idea that the thing that you desire can only be found in someone else. That there are traces, there are seeds, even if they're small and haven't matured yet, of that very thing in you. And that's, that, that's part of the, the remedy for envy. But when envy goes unresolved, it has this weird way of us admiring someone, but at the same time hating them at the same time. And, and that is a very weird and, and funky place to be. And you find you're doing very weird things when you get caught up into envy. And that's what we're going to see in our next episode.
0: Yeah, that definitely will come up in Joseph's life. And, and sh- certainly we see it in Jesus' life as well, that people have that kind of reaction towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's a wrap for, I guess, this episode. If you have any comments or questions, just click the link in our podcast notes to respond. Be sure to hit the subscribe button if you want to keep listening. We are thankful that you listened today and we will catch you next time.